0: Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour: Awakening Humanity. Happy New Year! Welcome to 2022, our first live show of the year. Um, we did take a little break. I hope you had your enjoyed your holidays. Hope you took a little bit of time off to enjoy and celebrate. Uh, I know a lot of people who are very happy that it is no longer 2021. Um, And uh, I know uh, I'm also very happy that it is 2022. And uh, I'm looking forward to today's show with all of you. Um, I see loyal listeners, Patty and William, already checking in on the Facebook Live. Glad you guys can join us. It's one of those shows. It's just me and you today. So please uh, feel free to comment in the comment if you're watching the video on our Facebook page on either the Inspired Thoughts with Sam Facebook page or on the Talk Radio NYC Facebook page. Um, Or if you're just listening, you can always email me at sam at theconsciousconsultant.com um uh oh and i see Anne checking in on the facebook live and patty also saying yes hopeful for a better year yes yeah i know it's not starting off so good for a number of people a number of my friends i was away for a couple of weeks i'm actually going to be talking about my my trip down to a little known island in the caribbean by the name of montserrat um but um uh, but first, of course, we're going to start with our little section from my book, Everyday Awakening. Um, but we're going to be talking a lot about resilience today. Um, and and I really feel like this is a very timely topic. Because look, this, this pandemic's been going on for a while, whether you say it's now an endemic or not, whatever it is, it's an additional stress in our lives. and that stress, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we're conscious of it, whether we think we're feeling it or not, it's there in the background underlying. And so I thought this was a great topic to start off the new year. Because these days, it does take resilience just for everyday life. So we're going to get into resilience uh, in a little bit. But first, of course, Uh, our section from my book, Everyday Awakening, uh, which, as always, if you have not gotten it yet, you can get it at everydayawakeningbook.com. And and, uh, please let me know if you did get a copy. If you enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review up on Amazon. Let me know what you think of the book. I'm, I'm really interested in people's feedback. So today's section is called Integrity Creates Influence, And influence is golden. Integrity is not just about showing up. Integrity is much more encompassing. It includes our words, our deeds, our actions, and our intentions. First, we can build trust by showing up consistently, then, we can build trust by living up to our words. That's when people look at our deeds and actions to see if they are in alignment with the things we say. Sure, it is easy to find people who say one thing and do something else. Many of them get away with it for quite a long time. Eventually, though, the inconsistent nature of their actions is revealed and people stop believing them. They may never say a word or give any feedback. The lack of integrity turns them away and they feel no compunction to let the person know. Yet a beautiful thing happens when our words and actions are aligned on a consistent basis. People start to trust us on a very deep level. That level of trust gives us real influence. And that influence must be treated as the most precious gift, for it is. It is more precious than gold, for that influence allows us to share our work and ourselves to an enthusiastic community. That community is what will support us for the rest of our days. Where has integrity created more influence for you? In your work, with your family, your friends, do you cherish the influence that your integrity has given you? So this uh, section of the book I wrote really came from my deeper understanding of influence um, through my association with a wonderful organization. You've heard me mention them several times on the show, the Evolutionary Business Council, which is a a, a community of transformational thought leaders, and I'm very honored and very proud. Uh, to be a part of this organization. And a lot of the organization, a lot of what it was about when I first joined was all about influence, about how gifting influence builds our influence, how gifting influence to other people who are doing good things raises them up and then it raises us all up. Uh, And I started to learn over time, like really the value of influence. It hadn't really been in my consciousness that much. But influence, I've learned, is really precious. And most people think influence is just about power or money. If you're a boss at work, you have influence. If, if, if you're the person signing my paycheck, you have influence over me. But it's so much more than that. Because you may have influence as a boss of what hours I work, over the type of work I do. But if you're out of integrity, if you're not living up to your words, if you're not really uh, living up to the energy and the mission, so often we see uh, corporations who have these wonderful slogans and beautiful sayings, but when you really look at how the company operates, it doesn't really follow those beautiful words And that gets revealed eventually. Sure, if you have a lot of money, not only can you have a lot of influence, uh, but you can cover things over for a period of time. But eventually, the truth of how we are being, the truth of how that organization is operating in the world is just naturally going to come through. We can't hide who we are. And in some ways, organizations that are very uh, 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 sort of pyramidal in structure, there's there's a CEO, a chairman of the board, a bunch of VPs, middle managers, and then frontline people. It all comes from the top. The example that the people at the top set. And this is true of any organization doesn't have to be a for profit organization, it could be a nonprofit organization, it could be a religious organization, it could be a spiritual movement. The integrity of that person flows down to the organization. And it takes a very conscious person to step outside of that and say, oh, I see everybody else is being like this, but I'm not going to be like that. And the reason why I say it takes a very conscious person to make that choice is because when it starts flowing down and everybody around you is acting the same way, it's hard not to fall in line, that peer pressure. We're naturally social animals. So that way of being is going to influence us. Now, if we stand in our integrity while everyone else is out of integrity, we can influence them. But it's about being truly aligned, really being aware, being centered, and knowing what are our values, what are our standards. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I saw this movie over the weekend on Netflix called Don't Look Up. And it was a really eye-opening, it was a wonderful movie about, it was really a critique of the way society is today. And while the, the story is about a, a comet approaching the earth and, and sort of the political and the media reaction to it, you, you can apply the story of the movie to anything to climate change to the pandemic to any social movement anything and it really showed sort of how common it is in today's world to be out of integrity to say one thing but to be totally different and in the end it doesn't serve anybody it doesn't serve ourselves it doesn't serve other people it doesn't serve the world at large and i believe in my heart of hearts that people are waking up to that more and more now yes while people are waking up to it it does seem that there are plenty of people out there plenty of people with influence who are totally out of integrity and I'm not sure that's necessarily anything new. Perhaps it's a little more extreme than we've seen in the past, just because technology allows us this leverage that we never had before. So things seem more extreme. But I also feel like the more we understand what it means to be in integrity, the more we, we know what feels right the easier it is to see when someone isn't that way and the more it doesn't resonate. And we just recognize it that much more. So I believe that it's more an awakening of consciousness that we're just more sensitive to people being out of integrity. And so it's worth considering and looking at who do you believe in, in the world today who has influence and of those people who have influence, who do you feel really has integrity and who doesn't? And, and, and how do those people who you think don't have integrity, how do they act compared to the people you feel do have integrity and how do, and what's that difference? And what can we learn from that? How can we learn to be more in integrity, more in our words? There's that old expression, and anyone who's out there who's a parent, I think will totally get this. Your children will follow what you do, not what you say. We all like to believe that if we tell our children, hey, you know, this is the right way to do things, this is the way you should be but we're being totally opposite, they're not going to listen to our words. They're going to model our behavior. And that's where real integrity comes in. Our behavior, not just our words, but our behavior, our energy. And sometimes I see people are a little bit too fanatical around, oh, I got to live up to my word. It's got to be exact to what I say. I have to do exactly that but life happens. That's not realistic. That's not being a human being. It, now, yes, you do want to live up to your words on a normal day-to-day basis, but sometimes something happens. Sometimes we make a commitment. We can't live up to it. it it's not always about living up to our word hundred percent. Maybe it's like 80%, but it's about that 20% that we don't live up to it. Do we clean it up afterwards? Do we acknowledge it? Do we own it? Do we say, hey, look, I messed up, I own it, this is what I can do about it, I apologize, I am a human being, I am working towards doing better. That recognition is also what brings us into integrity. By owning when we're out of integrity, sometimes that creates more influence than anything else. So look, I'm not saying people have to be perfect. I'm not saying we have to completely follow our word every moment of every day for the rest of our lives. But it's about our energy. People can feel it. Do we mean what we say when the moment we say it? And maybe something happens and and we can't quite live up to it and, and that can be okay, but do we clean it up afterwards? That's owning our integrity. So I hope this gives you something to think about um, over the next week. Think about integrity in your own life. How much are you in integrity yourself? And are you saying yes when you really mean no? And are you saying no when you really mean yes? And, And are you making promises that maybe you didn't consider enough before you make that promise and maybe if we just take a little bit of extra time and step back and be a little kinder and gentler to ourselves, maybe those promises we wouldn't make if we really gave it a little more thought. So I would love for you, my loyal listeners, to just just ponder that for the next week or so. In what way can you live up to more of what you're really about? And maybe it's about making less promises, not making more. Maybe it's about not being so black and white with what we say. And maybe it's about recognizing our own humanity and making room for that in our lives. Okay? Well, thank you. Thank you for indulging me uh, with this. I, I see uh, William on the Facebook Live says he felt the same way about the movie. I uh, thought it applies to our lives today. Yes, absolutely. William. So when we come back, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a little bit about an interesting little Caribbean island by the name of Montserrat. And I spent, um, oops, I, I spent uh, 11 days there um uh changing uh, uh ostensibly for a vacation um it wasn't as much of a vacation as uh I would have liked but um I'll explain what happened a little bit and I don't want to get too much into my story I really want to tell the story of Montserrat itself of the people of Montserrat and 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 how that relates to resilience And uh, I have a whole bunch of practices and things I'm going to intertwine in this wonderful group of people. I I had a meeting with yesterday and I asked them, what is resilience for them? What do they do to help them to be resilient? So I'm going to work that into it as well. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every thursday except for the last two weeks of the year when i take off 12 noon to 1 p.m eastern time right here on talkradio.nyc and all over facebook via our facebook live and we will be right back after these messages
1: are you a business owner do you want to be a business owner do you work with business owners hi i'm stephen fry your small and medium-sized business or smb guy and i'm the host of the new show always friday
0: And welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. Thank you all for tuning in today. Um, uh, I hope that uh, today will serve you, that today's show will touch something to help you a little bit. Um, So uh, I want to tell you about this little island in the Caribbean known as Montserrat. It's spelled M-O-N-T-S-E-R-R-A-T. And, you know, typically at the end of the year, my wife and I, we close down our businesses the last two weeks of the year, we go away on vacation, typically to someplace warm, not always. And, you know, given everything with COVID, we were trying to be careful to see, you know, to go someplace where, where things were, were relatively under control. And, and my wife happened to stumble upon the um, uh, Department of State, the U.S. Department of State website, where they they ranked a bunch of countries by like, you know, what level they are at, like level four being like really bad, level one being really good. And we originally think of going someplace else in uh, Central America, and it turned out not such a good place to go at this time. Um, and they were looking around and we saw that there was this one island listed, Montserrat, as level one, that the COVID rates were really low. And so we started to research into it and we found that uh, uh, Montserrat was kind of known as the, the an old world style Caribbean island, that it wasn't built up, it wasn't very commercialized. And that kind of appealed to us, you know, the pictures all made it look absolutely beautiful um and so we decided to go there and uh we we should have done a little bit more research before we booked our tickets because uh we booked our tickets and then we found out that even though we were fully vaccinated that we still had to be in quarantine for five days um and also that you know there were no direct flights to Montserrat from New York you have to fly down to Antigua and from Antigua you take a small plane over to Montserrat's like a 20 minute flight on this little plane. I loved it. It was like six passenger, uh, little plane that takes off. It's like 25 miles, um, 25 miles East of Antigua. Um, and, and it was beautiful. Um, but once we got there and we started talking to people and, and, you know, my wife and I were the kinds of people that when we go and visit a place, we don't like doing the touristy stuff. We don't stay in resorts. We like talking to people. We like walking around. We like really getting to know a place. And so um, I learned a few things about Montserrat. Um, It it, it was a small Island in the Caribbean and it had been inhabited uh, by indigenous cultures. um, The Tainos, uh, you know, centuries ago, probably uh, you know, 1500 years ago. Uh, but at the time that, that Columbus came, and, and when the European settlers finally came in the early 1600s, it was actually deserted. There, w- there was no one there, although there were um, indications that there were uh, prior cultures. And... Um, and, and so it became known as the, a lot of Irish settlers came, it became known as the Emerald Isle of the Caribbean, kind of after island, it was, Columbus actually named it Montserrat after a monastery near Barcelona in Spain. And actually, when you look up Montserrat, lots of times you'll see pictures of this big monastery in Spain. That's the, the Spanish um, uh, monastery, not the island of Montserrat. Um. But the significance of Montserrat and of the people that we came to learn is, uh, first of all, there was, there is a volcano, there's an active volcano. And uh, if anyone's a friend of mine, if anyone looks at my personal feed, you'll see I I posted a bunch of pictures when I was down there of of the volcano. It's not. I mean, it's I want to say it's not active, but there's still kind of a lot of steam coming off the mountain uh, and, and it actually created a whole new mountain because in 95, it first started to erupt. And there, the scientists thought it was going to be a little further south, like that's where the active area was, but it actually went a little, not, not a lot, it's still in the south, a little further north in between these two mountains it it created a whole new mountain but it didn't just erupt in 95 and and the eruption 95 was relatively minor it kept erupting in 96 in 97 a big eruption and that big eruption the lava literally destroyed the capital city of Plymouth and, and I saw pictures of Plymouth. Actually, saw them online. You could probably still see them. It was a thriving capital. It was the center of life. It's in the southern part of the island. And uh, luckily, very few people died. The, the population of Montserrat at the time was probably over 13,000. They said somewhere between thirteen and 14,000. Um, but the lava destroyed the whole capital. And people had to evacuate. Um, It's a British overseas territory, which means Britain actually owns the island. Um, And they use the Eastern Caribbean dollar, which several islands in the eastern part of the Caribbean use. Um, And so a lot of people left when that happened. Um, But if they didn't, and and not necessarily all right away, because the volcano actually kept erupting, um, you know, over no, no, just 97, 98, 99, it actually kept erupting up until about the year 2010. So for close to 15 years, this volcano kept erupting. So uh, for many years, people were living in shelters, they were living in crowded, very unwell conditions. And then Britain offered a package, they paid people money to leave, and many people moved to to Britain, to England, to Canada, to other places, wherever they could. And the population actually shrunk down to about 3000 people on the island. And mostly this is people who lived in the north, um, who lived in areas that were not affected by the volcano, And, and there's this whole... Exclusion zones. There are several zones in the island. Um, And you can actually take a tour and you can go into Plymouth, but you have to get a special permit. You have to check with the police. We we didn't do that. We actually um, uh, did a little tour that took us uh, to Richmond Hill, which is close to. Plymouth, and we were able to go in, and, and this famous hotel, uh, the Montserrat uh, Springs Hotel, and and you know it was abandoned, covered in ash, and and you and then he, the guide also took us to this other building that was close by that had been condominiums, you know, very nice apartments, and you could see how people left, and they probably just took what they could carry with them, and there was still stuff left there, and 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 how things got destroyed by the lava and 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 really firsthand got to see the destruction and while I've seen pictures like this I've I've been in areas before that have been destroyed by war and by other things it was really my first time to actually go inside a building that was affected by the volcano and so it really kind of hit home to us like how much the people of the country must have gone through at the time. And we heard stories about how you'd have to get up on the roof of your building and you would have to shovel and, and and sweep the ash off of the roof of your building. And they were wearing masks all the time because otherwise you'd breathe in the ash and cause all kinds of lung problems. And We learned all about the volcano. I'll talk a little bit more about that after the break. But then I also learned, I I forgot that in 1989, just five years before, there had been this huge hurricane that came through the Caribbean, Hugo, and Hugo did massive destruction. And Montserrat was directly in its path, and they said when Hugo came through, actually something like 94 95 percent of the buildings lost their roofs and that george martin the famous producer of the beatles he actually had a studio air studios in montserrat and many famous uh, musicians had come down and would record in his studio not just the beatles and paul mccartney um Uh, um Eric Clapton the Rolling Stones I mean just all kinds almost every famous band of the seven late 70s early 80s had been down there recording um and now that was gone and and the people of Montserrat survived that and they'd just been rebuilding like things were, were just coming back and it was just starting to thrive in 95 you know about five six years afterwards and then the volcano exploded so when we come back, I'm going to talk about sort of what's what happened since 95, 97 and what I saw, what I saw in the people of Montserrat of what they were like today and what I believed, how resilient they are and what helped to make them so resilient. And so I hope maybe the story, maybe some of these lessons can help us in being more resilient today. So you're listening to The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. This is our first new live show for 2022, and we will be right back after these messages.
1: Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism?
0: Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. Thank you all for tuning in today. I hope uh, what I've been talking about the story of Montserrat and of the resilience of the people, Uh, I hope it inspires you in some way. So I've been talking about sort of the tragedies that uh, Montserrat had suffered. But the interesting thing was, when you talk to the people, you didn't find any bitterness in their voice. Didn't find any regret. The people who stayed, and now, you know, as I mentioned, the the population went from like 13,000 down to 3,000. Now the population is maybe about 4,000, 4,500 with people who've come back. But the people are happy there. The people actually are relatively joyful. And when I looked at, like, what were the characteristics? what, What are people like in Montserrat? Number one, they're very connected to their community. They're very connected to each other. Everybody knows each other. 3,000 people, it's a small, 4,000 people, it's a small community. You know, I think about it. I live in this giant apartment building that's got 400 units in it. That's part of this complex. It's got three other buildings that have 400, 1,600 units. We've probably got close to 3,000 people just in our four buildings. But how many of my neighbors do I know? I know a few, but not very many at all. But in Montserrat, I mean, you could not go anywhere without people knowing everyone else. And the importance they placed on community and their connection, it could be seen in in very subtle ways. And one of the things that struck me, and I didn't quite catch it until close to the end of the trip, um, was how people thought of places, like places you would stay, a, a, a bed and breakfast, or a hotel, or, or an event or something. They didn't think about it by the name of the place. They thought about it by the name of the person who owns it, because everybody knows who owns everything. So, for instance, we asked our cab driver to take us to this restaurant, Summer Breeze. And he said, "Okay, we're going to Benny's place." I go, "No, no, no, not Benny's place. Summer Breeze." He goes, "Oh, yeah, Benny owns Summer Breeze." And then I got it because then I realized, like people thought about the first place we stayed. Oh, that was a uh, uh, Clover and David's place. The second place we stayed. Oh, that's Gary's place. Um, so people think about things by the name of the person who owns it or runs it, not by the name it was given, and that to me. It's it's very subtle, but it's so, so uh, uh, insightful about how the people are, that when we're really connected with community and really connected with people, uh, we don't think of things in terms of the name, like The equivalent would be, you know, like I run talkradio.nyc. So people would talk about, oh, that's Sam's internet radio station. They wouldn't call it NYC; They'd say, oh, that's Sam's internet radio station. So that really shows how people think of things. And that connection to community, I think, really gave people the resilience to stay with the island. And, and, And we would ask, people like like why did you stay like things got so bad i I just can't imagine can you imagine that that there's ash coming out of this volcano every day even if you're in the north end of the island the volcano's all the way in the south and you have to shovel the ash off the roof of your building so it doesn't collapse i, j- I just can't imagine that living through that but they did but the interesting thing was they didn't take it personally. They didn't feel like, oh, the volcano was doing something to me, or, oh, uh, you know, the the, the volcano is, is trying to take something away from me. No, it was just a natural part of life. Yes, it was challenging. Yes, it was difficult. But they didn't really take it personally. And what I noticed was also, and it was interesting because I also met a number of people, not a lot, when I say a number of people, it was like four or five, but who uh, lived in mostly in Europe, mostly in, in England or Ireland, um, who would come to Montserrat every year for the last dozen years or more, and they would spend... A month or two months or three months or four months during the winter time down in montserrat there's this one uh, couple a uh, couple i met on the beach and i was talking to them and they had had a house um on the far side of, of plymouth didn't get destroyed from the volcano but the access to it was cut off and now they could get there but there's no services no nothing um they still own it but it's like doesn't mean anything because you can't use it. They ended up staying, coming back. They bought another house in Montserrat, and they would come every year from, like, December until March for the last 13, 14 years. And I'm just thinking, like, wow, like, you kept coming back even after you basically lost your house. I mean, not that it's destroyed, but you've lost the use of your house, and you came back and you bought another house, and you still keep coming back and and i asked and i and i wondered like why 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 would you do that and they just even though they weren't from the island they felt such a connection to the place they felt a connection to the beauty they felt a connection to the nature the peace and 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 many people i talked to and it's kind of the same reason why me and my wife went down there was to get away from the hustle and bustle of, of day-to-day life here. I mean, we live in the middle of New York city. It's always something to do. We always feel like we have to do something. I'm on the computer. I'm on my phone all the time. I mean, down there, no, it was just going to the beach, just talking to people, eating, you know, making a meal, eating out and, 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 and just enjoying it. it, it, it there's, there's a certain peace to the Island. And so I found that people down there were actually very grateful, like many of them have traveled to other islands, many of them have been to, to, to Europe or the United States, so they know what it's like elsewhere, but they love it down there. They're grateful for what they have down there. And so that gratitude, I feel, really keeps them grounded in what they have around them. And of course there's trauma. Of course, people had different, you know, challenges that they had to deal with. You know, there there were many people we met that their either their brothers or sisters or their other uh, extended family had moved out of Montserrat, but they stayed and lots of times they just felt they didn't have anywhere to go. They felt at that point in life, they didn't want to start over and that they wouldn't find what they had there anywhere else. And I could kind of see that. You know, given that the island is a relatively um, isolated island, it's difficult to get to. Um, It doesn't have a deep bay, so you don't have big cruise ships coming in. So if you're going there, it's, it's a little bit of an adventure to get there. So you really have to want to go there. And I feel all of that—that—that that, that sense of gratitude for what they did have, that sense of community, that that not taking things personally, and being grateful what they have. Like all of that helped the people to be, uh, to be resilient. And actually, the resilience it doesn't just stop with the volcano. What everyone lost, things were just coming back. Uh, I talked to many people, and it's like the the the. the just like 2018 2019 people started to come back they started to get a few more visitors workers were coming in rebuilding infrastructure you know they still actually don't have an official capital um but people started coming back and they were expecting 2020 to be like the best year ever i mean think about it hurricane hugo destroys uh, most of the buildings they build back. Then the volcano explodes a few years later and destroys their capital. And most of the people leave and, 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 and destroys just even their way of life for the most part for several years. Again, the volcano erupts in 95, the big one 97 keeps erupting for another 10 years, 13, 14, 15 years. Finally, it's settled down. Like finally things are calm, takes a little while to build it back up. And then suddenly COVID hits, suddenly there's a pandemic and they close their borders because they don't have a tremendous medical infrastructure, they couldn't afford for people to really get sick with COVID. And so when we were checking out like the stats of like, you know, how many people got infected out of the island out of the three to 4000 4500 people over the course of this entire pandemic. 44 people covid and and obviously it had to have come from tourists or people visiting or people coming back from other places but out of those 44 people 42 recovered one person left the island might have been a tourist or might have been just a, a temporary resident and one person passed and interestingly, the one person who passed was something like 99 or 100 or 101. I don't know. I heard a few different things about how old she was. And one person said, yeah, I, I don't think she really passed from COVID. It was probably more from uh, uh, other conditions just because of her age. Um, but I thought about it. And it's like, first of all, it's a very low percentage because they're very careful. And, and And they actually closed their borders in 2020. And then they, they just reopened them. I believe it was in September or October of 2021. They just started to let people in who were non-residents. Um, and they've been very, very careful. So even if you were vaccinated, you still needed to go through a five-day quarantine. And you, you got a PCR test, uh, you know, uh, uh, after about four days. And then if that came back negative then the fifth day, they would release you. So they were being very careful and, and they don't do the PCR test the way we do the PCR test. Now in the United States, they do it like the old way. Like they go all the way back up. It's a little bit uncomfortable because they just couldn't afford it. So they very careful. Now they didn't take COVID personally. They didn't take this pandemic. They didn't, they, they weren't mad at the, uh, at the, the, the department of health for doing this, mm they're still cheerful people. They may not have much there. You know, it's not a wealthy Island because there's not a lot of industry. There's not a lot of tourism. Um, they used to export sugar from sugarcane and, and other fruits, but you know, pretty much uh, uh, they, they have to bring in stuff and you, and, and I got to talk about the supermarkets. I, I got to take a break, but when I come back, I'm going to talk about my experience going to a Montserrat supermarket compared to a United States supermarket and someone else's comment about it. But they don't have much. But you know what, sometimes I think not having much makes us a little more free to actually enjoy life. That sometimes when we're so caught up in our material possessions, and so caught up in what we own, uh, that we don't really value what we have. So uh, I'm going to come back, I'll talk maybe a little bit more about This idea of resilience. Thank you for all the hearts on the Facebook Live. Thank you for tuning in. And and I see Anne, one of my new uh, loyal listeners, said uh, this reminds her of the fires that in her area in southern Oregon last year, now in in Boulder, um, uh, that are now uh, happening. And it's been incredible to see the devastation people here. Uh, People are there to help those in need. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how when there's a lot of uh, uh, natural disasters, people really come together to help each other. So anyway, resilience, we're talking about resilience. I'm going to talk to you about my own experience with resilience when we come back after these messages. So you're listening to The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on talkradio.nyc, all over Facebook. Uh, And we will be right back in just a moment. Join us every Tuesday at 4pm Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we
1: focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behaviour to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, and what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4pm, every Tuesday for the Mind Behind Leadership, here live on Mm talkradio.nyc.
0: Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity, our first show of 2022. I hope you've been enjoying it, talking about resilience, talking about my trip to Montserrat and and what I learned from the people there. And I mentioned just before the break how uh, about the supermarkets. And it's interesting about the supermarkets because when you're a small island like that and most things get shipped in, almost just about everything, um, you have to wait until the ship arrives until that, that freighter ship that brings the cargo container of all the stuff you've ordered. And if something happens, the ship is late or it doesn't show up, then you don't have stuff. And so we went into the supermarket and we were warned ahead of time. So we kind of expected it that there's not a lot of choices. It's not like the supermarkets here in the United States where you've got 15 kinds of apples and and hundreds of cereal boxes and everything else. You go into the supermarket there and it's more like in New York, I would say it's more the equivalent of like one of the little bodegas, one of the little delis and, and how much food they have. And, and one of the, the residents had said that when they go to a supermarket in the United States, it's like going to Disneyland. There's so much stuff and it's so colorful. And Oh my God. And even my wife who, who comes from China when, when she first came, you know, China is much more developed now. Um, it, it, it's very different. Um, the supermarket's there. It, it's a real lesson in, in, you know, you don't need a lot, a lot of stuff. I mean, would we have liked to have a few more choices when we went shopping? Cause we had to cook several meals. Um, because one of the things we didn't realize was first of all, we knew we had to cook some meals cause we were in quarantine for five days, although we were able to order out and people delivered a couple of times. But what we didn't realize is we were coming out of quarantine um, the day before Christmas Eve. And Christmas this year was a Saturday. And they also celebrate Boxer Day, which is on Sunday. And because Christmas and Boxer was on a Saturday and Sunday, Monday and Tuesday was also a holiday. So a lot of places were closed for four days when we came out of quarantine. So Christmas Day, like nothing was open. So luckily, we were able to find a supermarket that was open on Christmas Eve. And we bought a bunch of stuff and and cooked at home, cooked cooked at our B&B where we stayed. So, you know, we, we really have a lot of stuff that we take for granted. And there they don't have that much, but they're grateful for what they do have. And it's so interesting just to see how, you know, and, and, and some parts of the island, some people have a little more money and other parts have less money. And, and And we didn't rent a car like everyone was like, oh, did you rent a car? You know, oh, if you want to rent a car, we can arrange it for you. And I didn't really want to rent a car, number one, because they drive on what I consider the wrong side of the street, the left side of the street, not the right side of the street, because it's a a British uh, territory, it's not American, and I'm used to driving on the right side of the road. And then when I got there, and I saw what the roads are like, I mean, this is a volcanic island, everything is up and down and curving and up and down and curving. I mean, you cannot walk out of your house without walking uphill or downhill. I mean, you were hiking the moment you walked out of your door. And so I just was like, I don't know if I want to, for the first time in my life, drive on the left side of the road in this kind of a situation. So we said, you know what, not going to rent a car, we'll just pay a cab driver. And you know what, for the cost of the cab driver picking us up, taking someplace, and then picking us up the place and taking us back to where we were staying, it was roughly the same prices for per day as renting a car, and I didn't have to pay for gas or insurance or anything else, so it worked out pretty good. And and in general, we usually just used a cab twice a day to go where we're going and to come back, and some days only once because we walk back and we walked a lot because we're New Yorkers. We love to walk. We walk all over the city. But but it, it was a, a little bit not quite what we expected because it was it because it's not that developed because it is more old world Caribbean. So the first thing that happened that was not very pleasant was when we were at the first b we were at, uh, again, we didn't have to stay in our room. We were in quarantine, but we could walk around the property. And they just mowed the grass and we walked up one place. There's a little cemetery top and we walked another place and walked another place. And I got all these bites, and at first I thought they were from the ants because the ants all over the place. They were vicious, um, but then uh, it started to spread, and with certain parts of my body, very uncomfortable, very very itchy. And we talked to them. They go, "Oh, those are chiggers. Um, you must have caught them from walking around the property." And it very uncomfortable, and they spread all over my body. The the, the host was wonderful. She gave me some some uh, um, uh, uh, allergy medicine to help with the itching, some some cream for it. Um, but it, it made it very unpleasant for me, for me personally, just physically. Then we moved to the new place and, you know, we go around and then we have challenges around Christmas, around finding places that are open, being able to do stuff. Now, keep in mind, my wife and I, we haven't been on vacation in two years. Like, this was the first, like, trip to just relax. We haven't been traveling because of COVID. This was supposed to be our, 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 really our getaway to relax and enjoy ourselves. And, and there were plenty of times. And then uh, on, on the, the, the day after uh, Christmas, we went to this uh, uh, cafe had waffles and and asked about walking around there. And they said, Oh, there's a hiking trail near here. So we go on the hiking trail and we walk up beautiful views at the top of the trail. Again, it's like straight up. It's like, you're just constantly climbing. Uh, so it was a bit of a, <laughs> it was a bit of a exercise, a bit of a hike. But then we decide instead of going back after we reach the the, the the lookout point, the overview point, we decide to just continue see where it's going. And so we're going down, down, down. And I kind of realized that, you know, we had gone to the north to this cafe and we're heading more towards the south. So we're getting closer to where we live. And so down, 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 we decide to go. And, and I'm an experienced hiker. I've, I've hiked before. And then the trail was pretty clear and relatively marked. But then it started to get not so clear, not so marked. Started to get a little nervous. And then we came to a part of the trail where it was washed out. And, and then it was kind of a little tough to figure out which way do we go. Started to follow the riverbed. Turned out after a while it wasn't the right one. Came back up. I tried to climb up the, the, the other side because I was pretty sure it was across the way. I slipped and fell, scraped my leg. It was bleeding. It was awful. Um, you know, then we decided to go down the riverbed, came back up again, found an easier way across and then found the trail and walked home. And by the time I got home, my leg was killing me. It's all bloody. And, and uh, you know, we just wanted to relax. And then the next night, we, we go out, we go out to get something to eat, we walk back very pleasant evening. And then uh, we, we had done laundry, and we brought it up and, and put it up on the, the roof of the building. And then all of a sudden, notice there's all these bugs all over the place, gnats. And then I go down, and I see where I turned on the outdoor lights of the of the place we were staying, there' a whole wall covered in gnats. And then we go inside, and there are gnats everywhere. And we're not talking like a dozen gnats; we're talking like hundreds, thousands of them. And we're like, "Oh my god!" And trying to get in touch with the host, and couldn't get in touch with them. And it was just ridiculous. It was just like one thing after another after another. And I was exhausted. I just couldn't even deal with it. um The host was very nice. He let us stay in a different room that night. Um, and he lit torches when he got there, and, and it was only for one night. I mean, people in the island, it was like no big deal. I'd never experienced anything like that. I've never seen an invasion of gnats that was so extreme. But in the island, they're used to it. They've had it. Oh yeah, that happens now and then. They just burst and then they die. They only live a short time and they're over with. So by the time we were ready to come back, we were pretty ready to come back. Um, we, we we fly back to Antigua uh we're in Antigua waiting for a flight we had a big gap between um we get on the plane plane's a little bit delayed not a big deal um and then uh uh we and then our plane arrives in New York but it's a little bit late and because it's a little bit late we don't have a gate and so we're stuck in the plane for an hour just like what an end to what an adventure Look, was the whole thing like that? No. I mean, the beaches were beautiful. We practically had a beach to ourselves. I mean, the Island was beautiful, but you know, when you're looking to just get away and relax and then you have all these trials and tribulations, it takes a bit of resilience to deal with that. And so for me, I, I really, it's dealing with the challenges. I just had to be very present. I just had to focus on what I did enjoy I just had to focus on the fact that I was getting through it, that it was only a limited amount of time that we were coming home. Um, so yeah, this whole trip was about resilience, which is why today's show was all about resilience. So I've, I've talked a lot, I've tried to weave in some resilience practices, some keys I see towards resilience. I would love to hear from you What? what helps you to be resilient? What kind of uh, uh, things do you find? And I think it's very relevant to what's going on in the world today, what we're all experiencing with the pandemic. We all need more resilience. We all are going through a challenging time, but you know what? Sometimes looking at the contrast, looking at what other people have gone through, which is so much worse maybe than what we're personally going through, to me, that also helps me to be resilient. It also helps me to say, you know what, it might be challenging, might be difficult, but it's not as bad as as other people. Anyway, that's my show for this week. I'm over time. Thank you all for tuning in. I so appreciate you all. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, please share the video. If you're watching the video on Facebook, share it with your friends. Uh, if you missed any part of today's show, you can always find the recording recording posted on the website later today or tomorrow on talkradio.nyc. And, of course, we, we're posted in all of the podcasting platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, all over the place. If, if you listen to podcasts anywhere... Um, you know, you you can find the Conscious Consultant Hour. So thank you all for tuning in. Next week, I got an amazing guest lined up for you. I hope you enjoy next week's show and I hope you'll join us then. Thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget uh, later today, five o'clock, it's Frank Harrison with a show, Frank About Health. We've got all our Friday blocker shows from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then we do it all next week, starting on Mondays at 7 p.m. with Sandra Bargeman and her show, The Edge of Every Day. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.
1: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.